Thank you for downloading the following message from the Pickerington Church of Christ. We pray that this message will be a blessing to you as you walk with the Lord. For more information or to find additional resources, locate us on the web at pickeringtonchurch.org. Enjoy the message. If I could grant you one thing that would make you without a doubt certain the ability to believe in Jesus Christ without any question ever again, if I could give you one thing, what would you wish for? Like if I could just make something happen, if I could uh, make something come about, if I could give you something, if I could give you an experience, what would you ask for just to have so that you could be absolutely certain who Jesus is and you're completely willing to give your life to him? Would you say, I need an answer to a really hard question like, how old is the earth? When did you make it? Or maybe a hard question like, why do bad things happen to good people? I just need a, a difficult, complex question answered for me. And if I get that answer, then I'll be able to believe. Would you ask for maybe an unbelievable experience? I'm reminded of the guy that told me one time, I just was so upset with God, I took a quarter out of my pocket, I stuck it on the wall with my thumb, and I said, God, if you're real, leave that quarter on the wall when I pull my hand away, you know, and guess what happened to the quarter? <laughs> Is that what you need, though? Do, do you need some unbelievable experience just to happen in a moment in your life to go, okay, yeah, God exists? Or maybe you're like me, and you uh, have asked God at times for deliverance from a crazy situation, like, God, I need you to put money in my bank account. If you do, I'll believe you're real. Or, God, can you help me get out of this speeding ticket? That guy back there uh, has his lights on. That would really help uh, my belief in you if you deliver me from this. You know, Peter says something here that is a little bit subtle. But if you see what he's saying, it's going to have some impact on your life. Massive impact. Look down in verse 19. So Peter references in verses 16 and 17 and 18 uh, an experience that he went through, an experience that he had. Uh, he went up with James and John onto what is known as the Mount of Transfiguration. It was up on a hill, and it's where Jesus was transformed before their eyes. They saw Moses and Elijah, and then the voice of God came and said, This is my son, Jesus. Listen to him. Hear him. And Peter experienced that. And from that point forward, Peter was locked in. You know, he's like, okay, geez, this is, this is real. Now, Peter had his struggles. He went up and down at times, but... There was something about that moment that changed Peter. And Peter said, in that moment, something happened. Look in verse 19. Verse 19, it says this. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention as a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your heart. So here's what Peter's saying. That moment that he was standing there with James and John, actually they fell down on their knees before Jesus, and the voice of God in front of Jesus the man said, he is my son, you should listen to him. What Peter says that moment did for him was confirm what he had known from the time he was a child, the prophetic word. And from that moment, here's what he says to you that you would do well, that you would be wise, that it would be smart of you to take heed to what God has said in his prophetic word 
because it has the power like a lamp shining place to make the day dawn and the day star rise in your heart it has the power to do that peter is saying hearing the word of the prophets what the prophets have said is as the same power as what peter experienced when he was face to face with jesus it's what Paul meant when he said the church is built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus being the chief cornerstone. These prophets and these apostles, what they have taught, what they have said, declaring to us the word of God. Here's what he's saying. He goes, that's a stable foundation to stand on if you're going to stand in the church. But it wasn't just Peter and it wasn't just Paul who said this about the prophets. Jesus himself said the prophets are this important. He tells a story in Luke chapter 16 about a rich man who had servants everywhere. And there was this poor beggar that lived outside of his house, and the rich man wasn't kind to this poor homeless beggar. And they both die, and they both are carried away to the realm where the dead exist, and the rich man was taken to a place called Torment. The, uh, the Lazarus, the poor man, was taken to Abraham's bosom where he was comforted. And the story goes on about the rich man saying to Abraham, Hey, can you uh, tell... Lazarus to go dip his finger into water and put it on my tongue because I'm super hot you know he's going through a difficult time and he's telling the story about this rich man wanting still to be served even though he was in the place of torment and then the rich man says to Abraham okay if there's a great gulf fixed between us and Lazarus can't come to me will you send Lazarus back from the dead to my five brothers because if somebody rises from the dead, they'll believe and they won't want to come here. And listen to what Jesus says through Abraham. He tells the story. He goes, they have Moses, they have the prophets. Even if a person came back to life from the dead, if they don't believe Moses and they don't believe the prophets, that resurrection still won't convert them. Some of you sit, sit in here sitting saying, Man, if I got to have one conversation with Jesus, one dinner with Jesus, if I got to see one miracle Jesus, then I believe. Let me tell you something, you might not. Hundreds and thousands of people saw Jesus, heard Jesus, witnessed miracles, ate food with him, and didn't believe. There's something powerful about what the prophets have done that we've got to unlock that is really the key to your conversion to Jesus Christ. So let's dig into it today because I want each and every one of us to have this kind of certainty. First of all, let me, let me clarify some principles about prophecy and the prophets, okay? Because I don't know about you, but I get a little tongue-tied on this. You know, prophets, prophesy, prophecy, you know, which one is which? Like runners run races, you know, I don't know how that works. But the first thing you got to know is who we're dealing with. The first thing is that these people are prophets. They're called prophets. And in the Bible, Peter says this about the prophets, he says, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what persons or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ, the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you. And the things that now have been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things in which angels long to look. Do you see what he's saying? Some really important things about who these guys are, these prophets, these both guys and girls in the Old Testament. First of all, he says that they're servants. 
Did you notice he says they realized they were not serving themselves, but they were serving us with their work? These prophets were servants. They were servants of God. They gave up their lives for him. These prophets were also authority. Prophets did not speak, as you look in our text in 2 Peter chapter 1, they didn't speak of their own authority. They didn't speak of their own accord. They were carried along by the Spirit of God to speak the mind and the will and the word of God. So they were, thus saith the Lord, authority. Servants, authority. These prophets were courageous. Read some of the stories about what these people experienced and went through in their life. It's unbelievable. Some of the ministries they were tasked to do, things like... um, Hosea, when he was told to marry a prostitute and knowing that she was going to leave him, he had to experience that as a prophet to declare to Israel, this is how you're living with God. Or you think about the story of Jonah. He gets a bad rap pretty quickly about his unwillingness to go to the city of Nineveh. But what we forget is that the Ninevites had ravaged his people through evil. They had hurt his people. And God sent him back to the Ninevites to preach to them. So these guys were servants of us. They were authority of God. They were courageous people, and they were passionate. What you learn about the prophets is that the only thing they cared about in their life was people knowing the mind and the will of God above all else. They sacrificed fortune, sometimes sacrificed prestige and power. They sacrificed comfort in their life. They sacrificed relationships. These guys sacrificed because they were passionate about people understanding and knowing the mind and the will of God. So the people were prophets. Their work was the word. This was their work. What was the prophet told to do? I know sometimes we think about prophets just being guys who foretell the future. That's part of their work. That happens sometimes. They would give predictive prophecies. This will come to pass. This is going to happen. But a majority of the work of the prophet was to declare to people, this is the word of God. Here, you're living in sin. You need to return back. You're living this way, and this is wrong, or this is right. They were declaring constantly the word of God to people. Like Hebrews 1 tells us, long ago, At many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. That was their role amongst the people of God, to declare the word of God to the people of God. How blessed of us to have his word sitting in front of us in book form today. It's a great blessing, but in those days what they had were the prophets declaring the mind and the will of God. This involved them sharing God's mind, revealing God's plans, calling God's people to trust and obey him, warning God's people of pending consequences if they, didn't, if they ignored him. And the prophets inspired people through difficult seasons that a time of hope was coming. Oftentimes we see, especially in the prophets later in the, in the Bible, uh, like Jeremiah and Isaiah, they were telling them constantly, like, you're going to go through difficult times, challenges are coming, but there's a better day ahead which has a lot to do with their message. So this principles is we have people who are prophets and their ministry, their work, was to bring the word of God. But what was their purpose? If you're in the reading still in 2 Peter chapter 1, look again down in verse 19. You notice it says, when we think about the purpose of these prophets and prophecy, he says we have the prophetic word fully confirmed. Prophetic word. Do you notice the tense that that's written in? 
it doesn't say we have a lot of prophets and a lot of their prophecies to consider. It's singular in its message. He says there's a prophetic word. There are many different prophets with many different prophecies in the Bible. But Peter's getting after this one idea that there is one singular message that they've been trying to say since the beginning. Well, what is that message? The first one is this. The message of the prophets was that God was going to form a covenant people. Started with Adam and Eve, which then went down all the way to Abraham. When God promised to Abraham, through your family, I'm going to bless the whole world. Then we came to Moses, where that nation began to be formed under the law of Moses. The Israelites were formed. And then we have God's people formed. Through David, that, that nation was developed and grown and, and became huge, a mighty world power. Then it went into demise under multiple kings until John the Baptist shows up as a forerunner for Jesus Christ, declaring that there's going to be a greater covenant for a particular people. So their work was to declare that there's going to be a covenant people. The prophets also described a coming kingdom. So as I mentioned before, there was this formation of Israel, God's chosen people, under the Old Testament to be a place where God would work, but also the place where God demonstrated what was to come. And as God formed Israel, and they rose them up to power, and then they fell into exile, the prophets over and over had a message to them that there is a greater kingdom coming. Now when Jesus shows up, they confuse that message. They think what that means is that the greater kingdom that's coming, and when Jesus shows up, that their Savior is going to be a conquering warrior of an army, and he's going to defeat Rome, and they're going to have a world power again. They miss that message. But over and over, God is telling them that there is a coming kingdom that is not like any other kingdom. So we've got a covenant people, a coming kingdom, and it promised a conquering Savior. This is the big promise. The major promise of all of God's people from the Old Testament until the moment Jesus arrives is that there's going to be one Savior. They called him Messiah, which meant chosen one. The one God chose to be their Savior. He would usher in this great, glorious new kingdom by his power and his might. He would open up this covenant beyond just the walls of Jerusalem or Judea or Israel to all nations. No one would defeat him, and he would be known as Redeemer, Savior, and we call him friend. So these prophets were telling us about a covenant people that we learn about. They were telling us about this great kingdom that's going to come, and this conquering Savior who's going to deliver it to us. Okay, all that being said, what's the power behind it? How does this begin to change your life? Stay there in verse 19. Go back with me if you don't have it in 2 Peter chapter 1. And I want to show you how it changes your life. We live in a world that is obsessed with experience as the ground of all truth. Meaning, I can't know it unless I taste it. I can't know it unless I see it. I can't know it unless I've touched it. So experience becomes the ground of all truth. Now Peter wants to offer us something more stable than just our experience. He's got something that goes beyond our ability, beyond our senses, beyond our existence, outside of us that's greater than us. And he says prophecy has the power to give us unshakable confidence in who Jesus is. 
It starts with this. First of all, prophecy has the power to give us confidence. You notice he says the prophetic word in verse 19 is more fully confirmed. Solid. That word confirmed gets this idea that we're able to walk on it. We're able to stand on it. This idea of confidence is like when you see a sheet of ice on a lake and you go, I don't have any doubt, man. I can walk out there. That ice is 13 inches thick or whatever. I don't know how long, how thick it needs to be, but whatever it needs to be, I have confidence I can stand on it. He says this prophetic word can give us that kind of confidence. Now, how does that work? How do we get confidence from these prophecies in the Old Testament? Now, there's too many for me to list for you here today, but let me just share a couple with you. And I think if you dig into them, you'll see how your mind can be blown by them. First of all, let me give you just a few about the nation of Israel that have already happened that might, um, you know, be important for you to learn. Jeremiah 25, 11 and 12 says that, tells us this. Long before Babylon fully conquered Judea and took them into captivity, Jeremiah said this in Jeremiah 25, 11 and 12, that Babylon would only rule for 70 years. He didn't just say less than a century or a period of time, you know, about a person's life. He didn't guess. He said 70 years. And you know how many years they were in captivity? before Persia took over and then Cyrus let him return? 70 years. Okay, maybe that one didn't work for you. Let me try another one. Isaiah 45, verse 1. Hundreds of years before the king of Persia would ever overtake Babylon and then let, and then let Israel return back to Jerusalem, God said in Isaiah 45, verse 1, that God will open the gates for his name, Cyrus, to defeat Babylon. He says his name, who will defeat them. Okay, let me try another one. Ezekiel 26, verse 12. Prophesies about this area called Tyre, okay? And he says, stone and timber and your soil will be tossed into the sea. Tyre, now they're a normal nation, powerful nation, doing their thing, living their life. And he says, listen, here's what's going to happen to you, Tyre. Your soil, your timber, your rocks are going to be thrown into the sea. And you know what? About 332, 333 uh, B.C., Alexander the Great, have you heard of him? Goes to the island of Tyre, destroys them, and creates what's known as a land bridge with the timber, the rocks, and the soil from that city. A land bridge you can still go see today. And they were destroyed forever. These are just a few examples that we see in the Bible. And all of that is to say this, like Isaiah 46 verse 10 says, God says, my plan will take place and I will do all of my will. That's the kind of confidence that the prophets are trying to grow in us. That when God says he's going to do something, he's shown over and over through the prophets, he does what he says he's going to do. But it's not just this distant reverence where we go, okay, what's God going to say next? I don't know. Okay, I, I believe that he'll do it, but what's he going to do? It's not just confidence in his ability. It's also confidence in our Savior. You see, the Bible, especially the Old Testament, is full of what's called messianic prophecies. Prophecies about the coming Messiah. Hundreds of them. Hundreds of subtle little language and words that say about who this person is going to be. Um, this is exactly what Jesus was talking about when he said in John chapter 5, verse 39, when he told the Jews, he said, you search the scriptures because you think in them you find life, but they testify about me. 
Or how about Luke 24 at the end when Jesus had resurrected from the dead and he walked down Emmaus Road and he comes to be with his disciples and he looks at him and he says, you slow to believe people. The prophets prophesied about me. All the things that have happened, all the things that you have watched, all the things that you've experienced, the prophets have already said this stuff, guys. Why are you so slow to believe? Look at my life. There are hundreds of them. Let me just share some with you quickly, okay? Genesis 3.15 tells us that this Savior God is going to send will crush the head of our enemy, the serpent. Genesis 49 says that he will come from the tribe of Judah as a king. Exodus 18, Moses tells us that God's going to raise up a prophet that is just like him who will lead God's people out of the slavery of sin and into the promised land. Psalm 72 tells us that he will be a king. Isaiah 40 says that there will be a forerunner who goes before him and he's prophesying about John the Baptist. Isaiah 7, 14 tells us about the one who will come born of a virgin. Micah chapter 5, verse 2, I don't know if you know this one or not, but when, they, when King Herod heard that there was a king who was born, Jesus, he goes, where was this king supposed to be born? And all the people went and they grabbed Micah the prophet and they read Micah chapter 5, verse 2, which says that he will be born in Bethlehem, Ephratah, which there was two Bethlehems, and they got very specific down to the very one where he was born, and guess where they went to find him? Bethlehem and Ephratah, and that's where he was. But then they didn't believe. Hosea chapter 11 tells us that he will spend a short time in his youth in, the, in Egypt. We hear prophecy about the ministry that he's going to do in Galilee, that he'd be rejected by Jews. There's prophecy about his triumphal entry. There's prophecy about being betrayed. Ready for this? In Zechariah, he would be betrayed for 30 pieces of silver. Written in the Old Testament. How many pieces of silver did Judas get? 30. You ready for this? says in the Old Testament that he will buy a potter's field. What did Judas, what did they do with the money when he threw it down in the temple? They took that 30 pieces of silver and said, this is blood money, we can't put it in the Lord's house. And they went and bought the potter's field. It was prophesied that he would be mocked and spit upon in the Psalms. Psalm 22 says that his hands and his feet would be pierced. You know they didn't crucify people in Psalm 22 days? They had no idea about piercing hands and feet. But they prophesied that in Psalm 22, that that would happen. Psalm 22 prophesies the cry on the cross, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We see the Bible prophesied that no bones of his would be broken, that he would die a death between two transgressors, that he would then be buried with the rich, that he would be resurrected, and that he would ascend. All of these details prophesied about in the Old Testament. You can have confidence that Jesus was the Christ. Can I give you one last little interesting fact? Mathematically speaking, all my math nerds, wake up. Mathematically speaking, for a person to perfectly fulfill just eight of the prophecies of, the Jesus, of Jesus, the chances of doing that are one in ten to the 17th power. Reed asked me yesterday, he and Warwick asked me, okay, hey, what, Dad, what comes after a trillion? I was like, I don't know, a gazillion? Do you guys know what comes after a trillion, anybody? What is it? quadrillion okay so you ready for this it's one in 100 quadrillion chance yes 17 zeros to just get eight of the prophecies fulfilled in your life 
That's like taking that many silver dollars and putting a black X on one of them and, and filling up the entire state of Texas two feet deep with all these coins, putting a blindfold on your face, saying, go in there and find the one with the black X. That's the chances of this happening. You can have confidence that Jesus is the Messiah. But the prophecy doesn't just give us confidence, it gives us clarity. Like a lamp shining in a dark place, these are not just educated guesses. These are promises of God so you know exactly what to expect. All of us have our biases about what we want out of a kingdom of God and a Savior from God. All of us have expectations and desires of what we want God to do for us. This is what got the Jewish leaders tripped up when they missed who Jesus was. This is what messed up Jesus' disciples when he was ready to ascend and they go, Hey, Jesus, are you going to restore the power to Israel now that you uh, did your whole death thing? They missed the point. All of us can do this. So when you come to the prophecies, you get clarity about the nature of Jesus, that he would be so tender to a bruised reed that he wouldn't break it. That's how tender he is. But that he would also declare with passion and power the reason he exists here on this earth. We see his purpose. And like in Hosea chapter 11, that he will not reject us but bring us forgiveness of sins. We see the purpose and power of his kingdom. So you have to ask yourself, what kind of savior are you looking for? What kind of kingdom do you want? And you get clarity if you look into the prophets. Let me give you the last one. Probably the real power that you get from the prophets is this, conversion. Yes, I mean real conversion. That makes you go from, I'm interested, to I'm in. You notice he has this phrase, Peter says it. I don't know if he was into like NASA or something, but he says that verse 19... We have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you do well to pay attention to as a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your heart. Now this is more than just pretty poetry. He's trying to tell you something. He's actually showing you the real order by which people are converted to Jesus Christ. Do you see that? Step one is this, take heed to the prophetic word, meaning you've got to look at it, you've got to pay attention, you've got to see it as a light that shines into a dark place, not just a dark world the word of God shines into, but a dark heart. You've got to let the word of God speak, you've got to see what it says, you've got to take heed to it and pay attention to a light that shines into darkness. So when you, one, take heed to a prophetic word, he says, do that until the day dawns. You see, the dawning of the day is the moment when glow begins to happen. You don't always see the source of the light. You don't always have like sort of a piercing, like there's the sun right there, but it just starts to bring some light to the surface. And what was once in darkness now is over, and there's light. You can start to see. Night is over. It reminds me of Nash, man. That guy, he will sleep and sleep and sleep, but the moment he sees any sort of resemblance of light, he thinks it's morning time, and the moment it's morning time, guess what's over? Nighttime. He doesn't have to sleep anymore. He gets to get up and be alive and awake for the day, and he's excited about it. You see, light starts to help us see, but it's not fully clear just yet. But that's when things start to change. So as you look into the prophetic word, as you spend time in God's word, the lights, the day starts to dawn. You start to see things differently. But he's got one more step for you. He says, you keep doing that. The day will dawn and the morning star will rise in your heart. 
This morning star is a really interesting thing. It's a specific light. I'm not 100% sure exactly what Peter was talking about. I've dug into it a little bit. There are a lot of different people that speak about this. Some, most people think it's a, typically um, what we would call a planet now, but it's this piercing bright light that rises in the morning, brighter than all others, and in the dawn has the power to capture your attention. Over and over as you come back to the Word and the day starts to illuminate, it's not enough just to know words from the Bible that the day starts to dawn. It's not enough just to have a moral compass that's kind of shaped from the Bible like I'm not going to lie or kill or steal. Okay, that's good. That's the day starting to dawn. It's not enough just to have a fear, quasi-fear of like a big powerful God who's going to come after me. It's not enough just to have a worldview that's built on truth that you were created from a creator and that the day starts to rise just in that. That's the day dawning. Enough just to pierce through the darkness. But you've got to hang in there for the morning star, Jesus Christ, to finally rise in your heart. This is where general light becomes specific for you. This is where those promises in the Bible about come to me, all you labor and are heavy laden, I'll give you rest, go from generic to personal. This is where promises like nice words and comforts go from just understanding, yeah, I see what you're saying, to this makes a difference in my life. This is where a story about a Savior who would sacrifice for you goes from, oh man, that's a neat religion, to I desperately need that for my life. You see, he says, you will do well to heed this prophetic word so that the day will dawn, but stay in there until the morning star rises and you see Jesus. Don't stop when you just get religious. You've got to keep going until you get a Savior. And when that day star, when that day dawns and that morning star rises, you'll be convicted of your sin. It'll be overwhelming to you. You'll mourn the darkness. But then you'll begin to see clearer and clearer the light of his salvation. And it'll save you for the rest of your life. Let's stand and sing this song together if you have a need. Won't you come?